Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Vishal Gupta. Vishal is the Chief Technology Officer, Chief Information Officer, and Senior Vice President of Connected Technology at Lexmark, a multi-billion dollar manufacturer of imaging products and IoT capabilities of various kinds. In his role, Vishal is responsible for corporate strategy, corporate IT, including security operations, and all software and analytics powering Lexmark's offering with a focus on cloud, analytics, artificial intelligence, and IoT. I look forward to hearing more about this broad purview through this conversation. Vishal is a seasoned executive who's had executive roles at Unisys and Symantec, among other organizations. Vishal, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a great pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Well, I, I, I just offered a brief overview of Lexmark's business, Vishal. Would you take it from there and talk a little bit more about the business that you help run? Sure. So, you know, our, our vision for Lexmark has been how do we enable our customers to leave a lasting impression in their words? And so we're very customer-centric. We're focused uh, on, uh, we used to be in the consumer segment, as you may know, a long time ago, but we exited that. So we're squarely focused on really the, the business customer. We were in over 100 countries, right? So we're very, very global. Uh, we're a spin-out maybe 30 years back from IBM. So we carry a lot of roots around technology and, and IP and innovation. And, um, you know, we're based out of uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and hence uh, the name uh, Lexmark as well, right? Where we're trying to enable our customers to really leave a mark in their journeys, right? In their vision, in their capabilities. And um, I joined the company about uh, uh, in early 21, uh, February 1st or 21, so two and a half years back. And, and what, what excited me about Lexmark um, really was, you know, not only our focus on innovation, uh, but also the opportunity to transform the company. Um, as you can imagine, with digital transformation, right, there's a question of how much people will really print. Uh, what does that really mean? Uh, in, in a future world, right, which is uh, enabled by cloud and AI and all of those things. And so I thought it was a fantastic opportunity to really broaden our canvas and enable us to achieve the vision we've got around enabling, you know, around enabling that uh, lasting impression in, in many other ways, which is where we're trying to get into things like IoT, as well as into, you know, also uh, enabling people to not just print that content, but potentially also do other things with that content, maybe summarize it, maybe translate it, maybe do other things with it. What an exciting overview that is, uh, Vishal. And, and I can understand why why that opportunity would be compelling for you. And I mentioned in the introduction, you've got this broad purview, uh, corporate strategy, corporate IT, uh, software and analytics, uh, a really interesting combination of, of responsibilities. Talk a bit further about that combination, if you would, and 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 the logic of bringing those together in one executive. Sure, that's a great question, Peter. Um, I think the credit for that really goes to our CEO, Alan Wagerman, and I think he had the vision that, you know, in traditionally companies have these silos, right? You've got a silo of IT and software. We used to have that too, and traditionally, when you create those silos, you know they're kind of living in two different worlds. You're not really driving any synergy from bringing them together. That's one piece. The other piece is when you're trying to transform from being an imaging company to really being a technology company, then you have to think about that does your strategy have to enable that transformation? 
And so if technology is going to be your strategy, if that is what's going to be underlying competitive advantage to create these net new offerings, then does it make sense to bring the strategy group into technology organization itself? So I think really there were two or three thoughts, right? One was, how do we bring the software assets together, which included data analytics and all of those things? But, you know, sometimes people have a chief data officer, then they'll have a CTO. And so it makes sense to converge those. Then the second thought was, what about if we think about connected technologies uh, and we think about, uh, you know, really bringing IT and all of these things together? And the third really part of the thinking was, what if, you know, we wanted our structure to follow our strategy and really make sure that for the corporate strategy it was a key part of this transformation versus being separate from it. So we could really try to, you know, drive the transformation that we're talking about. Now, as you know, Peter, these transformations are not easy, right? It's hard to make an elephant dance. Um, most of these transformations, if I think about a Kodak who may have gone through it, right, are not successful. And so you sort of have to think about doing same things will not drive different results, right? That's kind of insanity a little bit. And so I think it's a little bit less about, you know, what my responsibilities are and a little bit more about what is the ideal role to create if you want to drive this type of, you know, transformation, if you want to drive this type of how do we increase the canvas for the ability to be successful with the set of capabilities we have today and applying that in additional areas. And I think um, Alan's vision, I think I found very compelling, which is where I, I, I joined Lexmark. And for me, one of the great um, joys and surprises has been how well are uh, teams, which traditionally, when they were organized in different silos, you know, how well they've come together, right? So we have, I think, been able to really connect the dots, not just between things like IT and software. For example, IT used to follow a different methodology for rolling out projects, uh, which was based a little bit more around, you know, how things work in service now, around project management and all. Software used to follow SAFE, Scale Agile Framework. Now they both follow the same methodology because SAFE can also be deployed for rolling out any IT project that has a lot of benefits in how you drive that stakeholder alignment. And so I think we are seeing lots of benefits from this type of convergence. And uh, while obviously the jury's still out, I do think uh, for folks who are trying to drive a transformation, it's something worth looking at. Very interesting. And uh, I wondered also, as you took on this role, I'll assume that you'll correct me if I'm assuming incorrectly, that you did, there was not a predecessor of yours who had all of these together, that in some ways it was assembling a set of responsibilities anew in an executive yourself. And as a result, did that mean pulling together teams that had previously reported elsewhere? Was it also that in a combination with building a new team in any one or multiple of these parts of the organization as well? Can you talk a bit about the, the organization yeah. that you lead as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Peter. Now, luckily, I didn't have a predecessor, but he'd only been there for a year, meaning he had been a CTO and then he'd been charged with building this. And then I think he, you know, probably wanted to retire, I guess. And so, yeah, you know, so the role opened up. And so I think the, the organization understood the value of this, but there was very early in the journey to think like this. But what organization did not have at that point was um, was security. And so that's one thing that maybe we brought in after maybe nine months after I joined where, where we said, hey, cybersecurity and software have a lot of synergy and 
instead of putting them separately, you know, because we've got a place that makes policies and a place that's actually supposed to be implementing those policies, it makes makes sense to bring it together. So I think that we added later. I think Ventures Group also was not initially part of the remit. We added later because we said, okay, there's a way to incubate things even faster as part of a ventures team from a structural perspective. But I think we also added, we had to also scale a lot of capabilities. So for example, we did have capabilities say in data sciences, but we only had five data scientists. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're trying to take on what I'm describing, the world today is about data analytics and AI, right? And you say, okay, uh, am I gonna be able to do that with these five data scientists? And the answer is clearly no, but you can't also, you know, when you're going through a transformation, you also have budget challenges. Each data scientist ends up costing a quarter million dollars. How do you go and hire 50 of them? And they're not even available even if you had additional $20 million. And so we embarked on some very creative things like, you know, we built a alliance, create an AI academy. And so we've been training now um, in each cohort about 10 people uh, they get trained every day for three to four hours uh, over a period of a year. They get actually four university certificates doing so. And we have gone through now sixth cohort. So we're literally launching a cohort every quarter. And this is a program that ends up actually not costing us any money because the U.S. government is wanting to build AI capacity. So we're part of that, but we are obviously providing mentors. We're providing people working on our projects. We're providing a lot of capability and we thought a lot of people will drop out because it's super intense how do you make time from 5 to 8 p.m every day but we've had zero dropouts and it scaled from 5 to 50 this way similarly in user experience right we had a very small team and we realized it's all about modern user experience right that i mean look at why is apple so successful is it just a device no right it's the whole thing and so I think we had to scale up certain teams that were there. We had to obviously drive synergy between the teams that did not work before. And we had to add a few additional teams um, that were initially not part of the picture. And I would say, you know, uh, it's been a very interesting um, journey so far, right? Because I mean, the world of technology is just simply moving so fast, right? Like when I joined, there was no concept of generative AI, right? Now we talk about those things. And so, you just have to really think about ultimately how do you create a nimble organization that can adapt, not only adapt to change, but drive change, right? That to me is actually the, the opportunity and the challenge in front of all the, the C-level folks. That's a great a great way to typify that. I really appreciate uh, that description. And if, you, if I could just um, ask you the six cohorts, they're made up of existing employees? They're all existing employees. Yes. What's interesting is most of them are not in my group. Only oh. half of them are in my group. So a lot of them will come from finance, supply chain, uh, even our commercial organization. And these are people who themselves are understanding given, you know, you read a Wall Street Journal or post or anything any day and all you will read about is how data is going to be the future world. So they know intrinsically data is so important, analytics is important, and they want to be on the journey, right? And so these are people who have interest and then we sort of take them through this one-year program with these four different uh, certificates to, to enable them to do that. And the benefit of that is we thought about not so much of a center of excellence, which is a traditional thinking, Peter, but a center of influence. And so we wanted a lot of these people in actually parts of business so they bring the right problems uh, to us. Because the issue is not so much how to create a machine learning model or how to get the data, how to clean the data. They're all hard technical problems. The issue is ultimately finding value, business value generation 
in terms of really solving this problem, which means you need people very close to the business coming up with what is the most important problem to be solved. Uh, yeah, very interesting. And speaking of uh, the most important problems to be solved or opportunities to be pursued, I'd love to talk to you about corporate strategy. And as much as, of course, it's something that's within your purview, talk a bit about um, the substance of the current plan, if you would, and some of the priorities that you and by extension, the company are pursuing. Sure. So, you know, when we look at our corporate strategy, and obviously it's something that continues to evolve, right? We thought about, you know, when you want to get into new areas, those areas, you need to think about how am I going to increase your chances of succeed, right? So you have to start your corporate strategy based upon thing, what are your core capabilities where you can be successful and where else can you parlay those core capabilities to create new competitive advantage, new times for yourself? And so we said our core capability clearly is an imaging. And so can we, you know, imaging market is a huge market, 45, 50 billion market, but it's declining slightly. So what will it enable us to actually gain share in imaging? So that becomes one part of the strategy. The second part of the strategy was when we thought about imaging and we said, why are we so successful in imaging? Uh, what's causing us to grow much faster than our competition? You know, it was... You know, when we build these printers, we pack them with IoT sensors, right? We have now over 100 IoT sensors that are in these printers because we're using that and the data coming from these sensors to really drive how long we, you know, traditionally the printers are maybe maybe four years. That's how they last, at least on the commercial side where they're getting a lot printed. Ours are lasting seven years because of all the sensors that we're seeing and all the learnings we're seeing from that, right? And so we have a set of very interesting business outcomes that we were able to enable for our customers in terms of predictive maintenance, where we can predict 90% of the problem before they happen. We're able to solve 70% of them remotely. We're able to extend the life, as I mentioned, of these devices from you know four to six and seven years. We're able to do really enable for our customers, the, the biggest of the corporations, you know, them not having to worry about where to put these devices, how to manage them, just take that whole burden, IT burden off of, from them. And we said, fundamentally, a printer is basically an IoT device. And it's got, we've got all the algorithms that we've built out to stream the data from hundreds of data points on each of these devices, manage millions of them at scale. And so if we can do that for our devices, what if we could do it for other devices? because that's the advantage we can apply for other manufacturers. And so that was the birth of our thinking on our second part of strategy, which was what we call as we launched something called the Optra platform, which is a cloud-based platform on top of Azure, you know, built in collaboration with Microsoft to really uh, enable these business outcomes at scale. Because what we were after, what was unique for us was not just the fact we had another IoT platform, There's, there is like 50 of them in the market. But the, what was differentiating for us was the business outcomes that we were able to create. Most of the IoT projects are experiments. We were able to create an experience with real business outcomes. And so that became the second part of the strategy to say we'd parlay our strengths in imaging around both the fact we made 30 printer, 30 million printers, which are essentially edge devices. So we could be in IoT edge devices, maybe these devices that could do all kinds of compute in them, maybe devices that could process all kinds of vision stuff in collaboration with NVIDIA and all and also things that could create these business outcomes, whether it's for a manufacturer or a retailer or a healthcare company around collecting and, and, and processing all of this data. 
And, and, and so that's second part of our strategy, which we call as Optra, which is our whole IoT side, which is parlaying the strength in, the, in our imaging side. And I think the third part of our strategy is to say, are there core capabilities from technology that we've developed that now in a completely new market, which we would have never gone otherwise, uh, we could drive. And I'll give you a specific example. You know, we're so good at imaging, at scanning, at image recognition and all. Uh, you know, where is the world going? One of the interesting places of the world is going where people are spending the time is gaming, right? We've got all of these gaming cards and people collect thousands of cards. They don't know how to sort them. They don't know how to evaluate them, how to trade them. Uh, we have excellent capabilities in being able to do so. So, so Ventures is an arm which can essentially go after brand new markets, take our capabilities from imaging, from image recognition, from heating capabilities that we've developed because we're fusing toner to the paper and then apply them in brand new areas and just be really incubate startups in a bit, be a bit like VC. So be very brutal in terms of shutting down things, starting up new things and seeing where they go. And so those are three parts of a strategy, but they're all really tied to this core capability around where do our core capabilities lie and then how do we leverage them in different ways? Great overview and really interesting. Again, kind of uh, articulating the exciting aspects of your your role, one that is really kind of dreaming up the future of the business in many ways. Uh, just fascinating stuff. Uh, you know, when when one contemplates IoT, uh, the cybersecurity implications of of edge devices and and, and a lot more uh, <laughs> technology uh, pathways in, etc., um, are, are obviously a consideration as well. I mentioned at the outset that security operations is right. part of the organization that reports through to you as well. Talk a bit about, with all this innovation that you are rightfully focused on, how you think about leavening the, the thought process with the security implications of what you're developing also. Sure. It's a great question, Peter. And, you know, I've had a lot of work in IoT security at Semantic, too. I led the whole IoT security area there, as well as at Silent Circle, where I was the chief product officer from a privacy perspective. And I think this is one thing I feel, um, maybe as Americans and even as world citizens, we maybe don't pay enough importance on how much of our data is easily available for access. You know, what are people doing with the data? How do we protect it? How do we secure it? So it's a it's an area that I'm personally very passionate about. I think when you think about any of these kind of devices, right, you're trying to think about them in, in a couple of different ways from a security perspective. The first principle in security is you cannot secure what you don't have visibility on. And so I think the biggest thing that I find with my fellow CIOs is that you may not even know what are all the devices that are present in your enterprise, because the way the discovery protocols work, the way the subnetting works, the way things work, right? You may not know. People may have installed all kinds of things. It's not just your traditional, how many Windows machines I have, how many Macs I have, how many servers I have, or cloud things, there's all these other devices. They may be cameras, they may be projectors, they may be HVAC units through which Target came in, right? Uh, the hackers came in for Target. They may be printers and others, right? And so to me in IoT security, you have to think about A, the discovery, the inventory, the visibility. Once you've got the visibility, you think about, okay, you know, where are the vulnerabilities? How do I fix those vulnerabilities? How do I encrypt? the traffic that's going through either at rest or in motion, how do I uniquely identify the device? And so without even having to do very sophisticated things, if you at least got things like visibility into order, 
vulnerability management into order and you can at least provide to the security team, okay, here are all the devices and they're, here are the key vulnerabilities that can be attacked that we see in them. And here are the updates available that could actually address it. You've solved a huge problem. And so we obviously do that not only for our printers, but we're thinking about as we're working with customers also doing that for their connected devices as well. Yeah, very interesting indeed. I appreciate you sharing some of those anecdotes. I, I mentioned also earlier that an area of focus for you is on artificial intelligence, and presumably generative AI has also made its way onto your radar as well. I wonder if you can cover the more general topic, AI, and what you're, what you're doing from that perspective, but also more specifically generative AI and what conclusions you're drawing as to the value that an organization like yours might derive from it. Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, I've been very passionate on AI. I actually created a search engine um, during my master's thesis when I was at Dartmouth. I just didn't know it was an important thing. So I actually had something for Google using neural networks and all on a search engine as part of my thesis at Dartmouth. But sometimes you don't know what you've got. Uh, but I think, as I mentioned, you know, first we built a big capability because for AI, you need, you need data and, and, you know, you need three things if you want to do AI, right? You need talent. We talked a little bit about that earlier in the interview, right? You need obviously the data. So you need the ability to create the data lakes, think about a lake house architecture, think about whether it's streaming data or batch data, structure or unstructured, right? How do you collect it? How do you clean it? How do you transform it? How do you get the value of it? And then you obviously have to think about, you know, what are the different ways you can apply AI to the data, whether it's with deep learning or whether with, uh, you know, other methods, if you may, reinforcement learning, other things. For example, you know, you would think of a simple thing, like as I mentioned, predictive maintenance, we've seen huge value in being able to predict when something will fail. And that basically saves not just dollars because each time you can save a trip, that's about $300 saved. You also save the environment, right? Because now instead of these unstructured trips back and forth, you can, you know, when you're going to a customer, you know exactly which of their devices are in which stage and how to update them. And so that's a great, it's a win-win when you start applying AI across many use cases. And we have about 30 machine learning models in production today. So we're very proud of our, our data science analytics team and the work they've done in AI. And they do things not just in areas like predictive maintenance, but even predicting very precisely uh, the loyalty. Uh, what if somebody's using a, you know, a, a fake heart rate that causes a lot of you know, uh, wastage in the industry and we're able to predict that if you're finding issues in supply chain or stuff like that. Specifically to generative AI, I think that is one of the biggest opportunities that's available in front of any board, in front of any management team. You know, we launched something that we call as the base camp about four months back in collaboration, again, very closely with Microsoft. On the Azure side, we built out our open tenant. Uh, you know, we have, because we have been doing so much in data, right? So we can do all these embeddings, prompt engineering, all of those things. And I think the same framework we built for data governance, we're able to apply that for generative AI to be able to say, A, we don't want people to be putting our data in chat GPT, so how do you put it in a secure place? We're able to get out of the policy. And what we're trying to do is to really find maybe you know, the top five to seven use cases that are going to be meaningful in creating business value for us. So for example, you know, we do a lot of RFP responses, right? Generative AI is a great way to be able to train the data on all your RFP responses and do 90% of them through generative AI itself. It gives you use scale and gives makes the team much more focused on 
you know, focusing on the differentiation versus just clicking and writing the answers or the questions that they already know about, right? We're using it obviously much more now for software development. So I would say we're right now in the middle of seven, eight experiments. And I'm calling them experiments because without really realizing what productivity impact we can drive, we can't call them a success. And I would say later this year, we'll have a good sense for which of these we take forward and productize. So we really make them across the organization and which of them were just experiments and, you know, we keep on doing more of them. And so we're really in the middle of a journey and, you know, initial things look very encouraging, but there are lots of caveats too, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Uh, clearly the generative AI can also give you false results. You have to be very clear on the sources the data is coming from. And so we want to go into it neither in a hesitation way nor in a hyped way, right? We want to go into the right balance, just like any other technology. But overall, we do see massive potential in it. I can understand your excitement, certainly. I wanted to also ask you, as somebody who is uh, regularly looking around corners at trends that might be uh, applicable to a business like yours that you might derive value from, what other trends are exciting you as you look to the future, Michelle? You know, I think... You know, we were talking obviously about AI. I think the application of AI together with cloud, together with edge, I find very exciting. And I'll give you some very simple examples. You know, on a factory floor, for example, you don't have cloud running. So edge is very helpful because you, you know, you have a factory line happening. You have uh, maybe a millisecond to decide whether or not this particular device has some defects or should we let it go through, right? Because if you let it go through and it has defects, then you have a huge returns process and that's very costly and also can impact your reputation. In the past, all of that was done manually, not only to cost, but had a lot of inaccuracy. Now combining, this is to me a great uh, way with IoT because what you're doing is you've got the edge running. You have an AI model that could be running on the edge that looks at the device does 30 different checks on it and is able to make an instantaneous decision on is it good or not, right? And so that's, you know, and we have probably 30 such use cases that we are looking at across a wide variety of things. And so where I am most interested is, is ultimately business value. And to me, to create that business value, now we're seeing the technologies having the maturity whether it's the IoT technology, which is essentially around how do we collect the data, right? Because in this case, it's really the visual data, which is the camera feed, becomes the IoT sensor, or the AI technology, which have matured again to an extent that we have not seen before, or the edge technology itself, because in the past, we thought about just the data center or the cloud. Now we have that option too. And so I am personally very excited where one can bring these technologies together in meaningful business problem and solve them in a fast way. And, and that's one of the reasons why we're very excited about, about Optra. You know, that's the kind of things that we are solving, not just predictive maintenance or how do we extend the life of these devices? How do we go from one-time business models to more of the service business models, but also all the other pieces across the entire value chain uh, that you could solve as well. I also wanted to ask you, Vishal, as somebody who has been an executive at technology organizations, uh, for quite some time now, you were a GM at uh, Cisco dating back to 06, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you have, you've had, uh, you know, senior level positions at Silent Circle, Symantec, Unisys, of course, now at Lexmark. 
What have been some of the difference makers along the way or the secrets to your success professionally uh, that have allowed you to uh, to 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 rap relatively rapidly and at a young age achieve such heights um, across your career? Yeah, now I have gray hair, so I'm not sure I can claim more. <laughs> but uh, I think I can certainly try to share what I think has helped me, right? And maybe I've been lucky as well. I think there are probably three things that come to my mind, Peter. I would say the first is having a holistic background is helpful. You know, I never thought about myself as a technologist only. I always try to think, bring both the technology and the business orientation, which is why I invested in an MBA. And I think that is helpful. And, you know, I've also been in roles in services and sales engineering. And so when you've gone through a number of rotations, I think it's helpful because you're able to develop a perspective of empathy for the customer, for your peers, at, as to not just, hey, technology is the answer, but what are all the other pieces involved in something? And so I think that has been very helpful to create that rounded perspective around not just how we can create a great technology solution, but does it really solve the problem? How will it get adopted? What are the other issues that will create? How will you do security on it? How will you service it in the field? How will you position and sell it? Uh, right. And so you get to think about all the 360 degrees there. I, I would say the second thing is something I learned at Cisco, which is a fantastic learning place. And, you know, our leadership model was called C-LEAD and C stood for collaborate. And I learned early in my life that it doesn't matter how smart you are. Collaboration is the is the secret sauce to getting things done. Right. And the collaboration could be with your customers. So that creates like an advisory board to listen and, and innovate with the customer. It could be with your peers. It could be with your team. It could be with people in the ecosystem like yourself, right? And so that collaboration is critical uh, for success to get that full view. I would say the final um, maybe ingredient for success perhaps uh, is just, you know, more focus on just the EQ versus IQ, right? You can see I'm a little bit biased there because... I think change is hard, right? The only person who likes change, they say, is a baby with a wet diaper. And so thinking through that a little bit uh, from a human element perspective, you know, how are you going to really form that relationship? What will be the implications of, you know, the strategic things that you're trying to do? How do you make that thing into a force multiplier as opposed to something that people are opposing um, is helpful as well. So I would say, uh, the last thing is probably something I'm still learning, but the first two I've probably learned a lot over time. Just great reflections, Vishal. I really appreciate you sharing that. And and a great conversation across a variety of topics that we, we've covered, representative of the vast innovations that you and your team at Lexmark are pursuing, but also representative of this vast purview that you have from the perch uh, that is your leadership position at Lexmark as well. Thank you so much for a great conversation. Oh, you're very welcome. You know, I'm very proud of my team at Lexmark. I think they get really the credit and my peers uh, of, of a lot of the progress that is happening and our CEO for having the vision to create connected technologies. And I also want to thank people yourself, uh, Peter, right? I mean, you've done, I don't know how many of these podcasts and and I'm amazed at your fortitude, at your ability and desire to learn and your ability to surface uh, amazing people myself not included uh, <laughs> so thank you for your work as well you're very kind to say that thank you thank you so much michelle